Welcome to Dear Teacher. Today's episode is extra special. I'm going to interview Mr. Phil Hayes, a retired social studies teacher from Conrad Weiser High School in Pennsylvania. He had a 35-year career, and today he's going to tell us how he imparted his love of travel to students. He'll tell the story of the April Fool's joke that one student still hasn't forgotten, and share what he loves most about the job that he's dedicated his life to. Well, I can't wait to ask you all about teaching. You are, by the way, one of my top two favorite teachers from my junior high and high school experience. Well, I don't know I if you know that. that. <laughs> I appreciate that. What what different grades have you taught? And was it always geography? No. I started out of college. Well, my first year was actually a long-term sub-position, not at Wiser. And I taught uh, government to seniors which was quite an experience since I was 21 and they were 17 and 18. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, And that was my introduction into teaching senior high. And at the end of that year, I started in January and in June, at the end of that year, they had a permanent opening, which they offered to me. But at the same time, I had an interview at Conard Weiser and that was for a new position that was created. Uh, well, actually, initially, it was for a long-term sub-position because Mr. Friedman, the eighth grade geography teacher who just mm-hmm. passed away, mm-hmm. uh, went back to Drexel to get his master's, a second master's degree in library science. So I was certified to teach geography and they offered me the full-time subposition for him for a year and I turned it down. I said I really don't want to have an opportunity to have a full-time position where I am and I don't want to go to a to a non-guaranteed job after a year. So they called me back and said well as it turns out we have a full-time position as well however we had a young man that was in that position for a year and we're going to give it to him but we'll give it to you and we'll give him a long-term subposition. So I was fortunate. It was, um, I taught juniors and sophomores. So it was 11th grade world cultures and 10th grade U.S. history too. And that was my first year. And then after that, it was whatever they needed me to teach. So every year, something new came up. (laughs) So I taught every social studies that Wiser offered seven through 12 over a five-year period of time. Wow. I taught U.S. History 1, U.S. History 2, government, um, what else? Uh, U.S. and PA history, eighth grade geography, seventh grade geography. (laughs) And then after I was there five years, the seventh grade geography teacher retired. Ah. And I applied for his position and I moved into that position And uh, I had that for 20 years, 20 year period of time. We not only trans, we transitioned from being a junior high school to a middle school. So I, even though I stayed in seventh grade, I had to learn a whole new different philosophy of teaching because middle school is very team oriented. Mm. So I became part of a, of a team. Now we still had intensive scheduling. So it was uh, four blocks three blocks of teaching, one block of prep, each block 90 minutes. 
and I taught on a team with the science teacher and the English teacher. And we tried to develop cross-curricular studies, which we did, and I loved it. I mean, it was, I loved it. And then on my, the end of my 31st year of teaching, they brought in an assistant superintendent that decided that the whole curriculum needed to be redone. Oh boy. And they decided to combine history and geography together into one class. Oh. And at that point, there were three retirements in the high school, and they offered me the opportunity to go to the high school. And although I love teaching seventh grade and I love the middle school, juniors, I love juniors. <laughs> and you said you did as well. I do, yes. And it was uh, world cultures. And it was kids that I taught as seventh graders. So it was a natural transition for me to go back to the high school. And my last, I mean, I always saw myself teaching for 40 years. But my last four years were the last four seventh grade classes that I had taught. So 80, 85% of the kids were kids that I knew. And I got to see them when they were young adults and I could talk to them on a much different level and I could expect much different things. And um, my last four years were probably my best four years of teaching for that reason. Now they did throw in an occasional US and PA history too for me to teach as well, but that was okay. You know, uh, I certainly didn't mind, but yeah, I've, if it's social studies, I've taught it. I love that your last four years were the best. What a great way to close out the career. And that's why I decided at the, when I saw that, I mean, there were a few kids, I'm 25, that were going to come up as juniors if I would have stayed another year. Mm -hmm. But all the other kids were students that I never taught. They didn't know me. They didn't know my reputation. I would have had to develop rapport. And at that point, I just said, you know what? I qualify for retirement, although I thought I would never do it. I'm going to do it. Um, So I did. The superintendent came down and tried to talk me out of it. The assistant superintendent tried to talk (laughs) me out of it. I mean, I was only 56 years old. Mm -hmm. And um, I said no. Then after afterwards, I did a little bit of adjunct work for Penn State Berks and also for Alvernia. But that was an education. Um, not in in social studies. And um, it was okay, but I knew it was not, it didn't make me happy, put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And and the funny part of teaching the last four years in the high school is I used to tell my seventh graders, and maybe you remember all the stories about traveling Mm -hmm. and, you know, being in Russia when my first junior class walked in the door my first day of my new teaching assignment, the first thing the kids said to me is, okay, you told us all those great stories. So where are you taking us? <laughs> and I said, well, where do you want to go? And they said, well, where can we go? I said, you can go anywhere in the world you want to go. I said, I will get you the information and all I need is six kids to go because that qualifies as a trip wow. and we can go. So my first junior class at the end of my junior year, I, tur- I took 23 of my juniors wow. to, ch- to China. Oh my goodness. For 10 days. 
Wow. And on the way home, they said to me, where are we going next year? <laughs> I said, I'll tell you the same thing I told you last year. We'll go wherever you want to go. You know, you pick, get me six kids and we're going. So the second year I took a group to France and England and Italy. This is pretty extraordinary. Yeah. And then on the way home, they said, where are we going next year? And I said, and now I have some kids that are in college that are going along with me as well as my juniors. Oh, wow. <laughs> so year three, we went to Australia and New Zealand. Oh, my goodness. And uh, that was for 12 days. And then on the way home, they said, where are we going next year? I said, I retired. <laughs> but I'll tell you who will take you. So another social studies teacher took over for me and, and they've been continuing the trips. Miss um, Rode has also retired and she's been going along with them. So the trips have continued. Um, they offered for me to go along and I said, you know what? I don't know the kids and I can tell you they are exhausting trips because you're on the go 14 hours a day. Yeah. And I just said, nope, the young pups need to take it over. But yeah, so... Obviously, I had a great last four years. I was that going sounds, all over the world. That sounds extraordinary. Do oh. you let the students decide what they wanted to do each day? Or did you like have an itinerary that you set and followed? No, we had a definite itinerary. And it was, it was uh, go, 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 go. But I'll tell you what, I would go back to China in a heartbeat. Uh, except for the pollution. Mm. the the people were so accommodating it was ridiculous <laughs> um and the um food was amazing i bet the only place um we went out to dinner one night and in beijing and as we were traveling on the bus i saw the night market and i got very excited i said to the our, our guide, I said, is that the night market? She said, yeah. I said, are we going there? She said, no, we don't take tourists there. I said, no, 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 I want to go there. She said, well, she said, we're going to a restaurant right around the corner. She said, I can have the bus driver pick us up. We could spend a little time there. But she said, I don't advise it. I said, no, I insist. Okay. So the night market is like picture an open air flea market where most of the stands are food and it's food from all over the country, but it's things that no tourist is going to see unless they get to experience the night market. I'm talking dog, cat, oh. um, silkworms, wow. uh, larvae on a stick, like six or seven of them on a stick, on a, on a skewer, and then they throw them in a wok with oil. Everything goes in a wok with oil. Um, ostrich, um, snake scorpions and and before we went there she got all of the kids together and said to them you know your chaperone really wants you to see this you may not buy anything okay i am not from beijing she said i'm from the southern part of the country and i got sick eating at this market uh -oh. and you have to understand that this food is out in these high temperatures all day long and all they do is put it on a skewer and throw it in oil. So your stomach is not accustomed to it. Oh, my, there were things I wanted to try. <laughs> oh, I bet. But, but I didn't. But that was absolutely fascinating. That was one of the highlights of our trip. It really was. 
I'm also guessing that your curiosity and excitement was pretty contagious for the students. And their excitement was contagious to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it worked both ways. I bet it did. I just think it's extraordinary that you, I love that you gave them the agency to be like, well, where do you want to go? And they, they perpetuated the trips for you. I think that's awesome. It was amazing. Why did you start doing this all in the first place? Not the trips, but teaching. Why did you become a teacher? I had two teachers in my life that I grew up in a working class family. I was the last of five. My oldest brother, who was 16 years older than I was, he did a, went to uh, college when he was in the Navy. He was stationed in Hawaii. He went to the University of Hawaii part-time. So when he graduated, he got a job uh, in industry, worked his way up. Um, and when I was a junior high school student, he was a vice president of a corrugated box manufacturing company in the area. So he would take me to his job to show me what it was like to go to work in a coat and tie and have secretaries. Hmm. And my other brothers and sisters worked in factories or, or other, you know, physical labor. And as did my father, my father was a welder. And all of my early jobs in my teenage years were in factories and things like that. And I recognized that I liked the idea of going to work in a, in a coat and tie much better than sweating. Mm -hmm. um, and because the two teachers had such an influence on me, I think that's what drew me toward education. Um, I mean, I had a 10th grade English teacher who he pulled me aside one day and he said to me, what are you doing with your life? And I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, he said, you're not working very hard as a student. You're not trying very hard. A lot of your friends are knuckleheads. And he said, you should be going to college and you should be thinking about other things in life. And he stayed on me and kept motivating me and did a lot to change my attitude. I mean, from 10th grade, where I was receiving average grades to 12th grade when I was a straight A student, I owe a lot of that to his influence for pushing me because that wasn't pushing I was getting at home. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's the reason. Well, it sounds like he had a big influence on you to help you kind of turn those grades around and also start a career. Without question. Yeah. Do you have a favorite topic or a concept or place that you could talk about all day? <laughs> wow. Anything related to world cultures, world geography. I mean, I can talk about Europe all day. I can talk about Asia all day. If it involves introducing my students to other cultures and things which are are not hidden behind the pot pie curtain in Berks County. <laughs> <laughs> I can teach it all day. Sometimes I miss the pot pie curtain. <laughs> you know what? I still live behind the pot pie curtain and it still makes me laugh. But oh, and, and oh my, Rachel, if you visited Conrad Weiser today, you wouldn't see the same school. It is so diverse and so much different than when you went, even I was there. Yeah, I, I had a very, not in terms of the education, but socially, my experience was pretty homogenous. I didn't have friends who looked different than me just because of growing up in the area. Yeah, and you grew up in Stylesburg. I know, which is even <laughs> tinier. <laughs> Talk about behind the pot pie curtain. <laughs> I think that's where it was invented. 
Well, I have to tell you that I, um, so I, I, of course, didn't go on to study social studies or geography. I studied English, um, specifically American literature, but I caught the travel bug. I have a love of travel and I love knowing people from different cultures and eating their food and learning their traditions. And I imagine I got some of that from your class. Oh, I hope so. Thinking back over the years, do you have any moments that stand out to you in the classroom as like inspiring moments or even humorous moments that you like to remember? Oh, I'm going to tell you one, but I'm not sure you're going to like it. Oh, I want to hear this. Okay, let me paint a picture for you. Okay. I had two young daughters and obviously I wanted to wanted them to grow up to be my ideal daughters. Good students, you know, intrinsically motivated, all those kinds of wonderful things. I had a student who was intrinsically motivated, who was my ideal daughter, even though she wasn't mine. Okay. And I, I honestly wish that my daughters would grow up like her. She had a fault. <laughs> her fault was she was so intrinsically motivated, she didn't know how to relax. Uh-oh. So one day... I decided I needed to teach her how to relax. So I made up a reason to assign this poor seventh grader my <laughs> ideal student detention. I knew this was coming. <laughs> and I left her sweat it. I felt horrible doing it. <laughs> but I left her sweat it for about an hour. And I went to the <laughs> office, got her schedule. Went to her math class, knocked on the door when I saw that they were working on something independently and asked the teacher if I could speak to her. And I said to her, Rachel, April Fool. <laughs> so yes, believe it or not, that was my way of trying to get you to kick back a little bit. And you know what? Well, you never let me forget that. I think I <laughs> scarred you for life. You didn't scar me for life, but it is seriously probably my most memorable moment from high school. <laughs> and I, with great delight, told all of my 115 high school students that story on the last day of school this year. I, I told them stories from my high school experiences throughout the year just for fun. And I saved that one for the last day. I, I had them take a poll. I said, all right, how many of you think I ever got detention when I was in high school? And then I said, all right, what reason do you think I got detention? And then I told them the story of this grand April Fool's prank that my geography teacher played on me. <laughs> and I, I love it. I mean, I will tell you that in that moment, I was pretty sad because I was like, oh my gosh, Mr. Hayes just gave me detention. <laughs> I don't, but I don't think it's I, one of my favorite stories. I don't think I have ever, ever <laughs> inflicted that much physical pain <laughs> on a young person without ever touching them. Honestly, you want to talk? I mean, I probably felt worse about it than you did. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I, I love that you did it. I am a perfectionist and I have at various points in life, that being one of them, had people in a variety of ways help me realize that perfectionism is not all it's cracked up to be and you get to just relax and laugh about things. And I love pranks. I love it when someone can pull off a genuinely good prank and you are one of the few people that got me really good. <laughs>
Well, you know, I have this philosophy and I've always had it. If you can't reach them, you can't teach them. That's right. Yes. And, you know, when you have a bad student who, mm -hmm. who acts out, there's a different way of reaching them. But when you have the ideal student, Man, you got to do a lot of soul searching to figure out how to get that one. Well, you made an impression on me and it was a positive well, one. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I still think of you as one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> so good job. Oh, man. Remind me again, how many years long has your teaching career been? Total of 35. Do you have any words of wisdom for teachers who are still fairly early in their career and maybe feeling a little burnt out? Well, I certainly understand with everything that's happening in education today why that can be. I think our godsend is June, July in August yes. because you get to regenerate and recharge and you start over with new students and new challenges and and you always have to concentrate on the fact that next year's a new year if this year you have particularly horrible students or something happened like COVID-19 mm -hmm. that you had to completely change your whole way of thinking next year is another year and that's one of the beauties of teaching no two years are alike. No two days are alike. You know, there are people who go to a job where every day is like the day before. And, and in education, we have the luxury that every day is different and every year is different and every student is different. And that's mm -hmm. the beauty of education. So I think my, my advice is you need to concentrate on the positives, not the negatives. That's good advice. By the way, I, I thought I should let you know that it might be ironic at this point that I spent much of this year trying to convince my 11th grade honors students that they didn't need to be perfect and they needed to lighten up about their grades. So maybe that's more of a sign that I did internalize the lesson. Well, I'm glad. I'm all, it's always nice to hear that. It, you know, that's the other problem with education. We never know if what we do works. Every now and then we'll get some student who five years, 10 years, 15 years later will come back and say, oh, by the way, it's like, okay, that's why I did that. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's, unfortunately, in education, you don't get a whole lot of immediate gratification. It's true. But when you do find out that there's an impact, it's, it's pretty extraordinary. Yes, it is. Is there anything I didn't ask you about that you want to talk about? Yeah, there is one okay. thing. You, you asked me about a moment in my classroom that is outstanding. And I do have a story I want to share with you. Great. When I went back to my junior class, I was teaching Middle Eastern cultures to my juniors. And um, one particular day, we started talking about arranged marriages. And, you know, I was trying to, how do you explain to a bunch of American high school 16, 17 year olds, why <laughs> anyone would let their parents arrange a marriage? And I'm struggling. And about halfway through the class, a young girl that I had who was Pakistani, uh, by nationality, but was uh, raised in the United States from the time she was two. She raised her hand and she said, Mr. Hayes, may I help you? And I looked at her and I said, sure. What do you want to do? She said, well, she said, you're talking about me. And I thought maybe if I shared that with the class, they'd understand more. And I said to her, okay, you've got the floor. Come on up here. So she came up front, sat in my chair, and she said, I have been in the United States for two years. I am Pakistani by origin. My entire family, except for my parents and my brothers and sisters, live in Pakistan and Bangladesh. 
she said, I have an arranged marriage. She said, I already know who I will marry. She said, when I graduate from Conrad Weiser, she said, I'm going to, uh, my new husband is going to allow me to continue my education to become a teacher in the United States. And then I'm going to return to Pakistan or Bangladesh, and I'm going to teach school. And my juniors were like awestruck. And finally, one of the girls raised her hand and said, have you ever met your husband? She said, oh, yes, I know him. She said, I will be his second wife. Well, hmm. I thought they were going to all drop over dead. <laughs> um, and she proceeded to say, you know, that this was something that her father had arranged and uh, she met him. She goes back to, to the old country in the summertime and she always gets to see him a little bit and her sister wife and their children. And um, she accepts that. Finally, someone said to her, why would you allow? You, you're, I mean, she played on the, on the senior high basketball team. She was a point guard. She was good at it. She was a, an honor student. Everybody knew her and loved her. She was as American as apple pie on a day-to-day -day basis. And the girl said to her, why, why would you allow that? She looked at that class and she said, who better knows what's best for you than your father? Hmm. And I will never forget that moment as long as I live. Ever. Wow. And afterwards, I asked her to stay and I thanked her for being willing to share. I said, you do realize your classmates are going to look at you very differently from this point on? She said, I know. But she said, I saw how much you were struggling and how much they were struggling trying to understand the concept. And she said, since I was the concept, I thought I could help. I said, oh, my. <laughs> you help. I got to tell that story every year thereafter. Of course, I wouldn't tell them who the student was. Right. But um, yeah, that was one of the defining moments in my junior teaching career that I will never forget. Well, and it's a it's a remarkably beautiful example of privileging a student's voice in the classroom, exactly. letting them take over as the teacher for a bit and share their own personal experience. And so I love that you gave her voice a platform. Me too. Yeah. Wow. So I, I'm curious, who's your favorite teacher? Probably the English teacher that helped me change my ways when I was a sophomore. And that was Mr. George, who was my English teacher. He was also a football coach, later became a guidance counselor, eventually got his PhD, became principal at Elko. Then he was the athletic director at Albright for a couple of years. He still wow. lives in Wilmersdorf. I still get to see him. And um, I have shared that story with him on how much of an influence he was on my life because I thought he should know. Yeah. And his, yeah, his response was, I had no idea. I said, well, huh. that's why I told him. So. I'm glad you told him. That was a gift to him. Do you have one more travel story you could send me off with? Any favorite travel story? <laughs> well, okay. Last story. Last trip we went to in Europe. I said to the kids, now I only took eight kids to Europe. I said to the kids before we left, the night before we left, we had a meeting. I said, okay, I want to show you my thing that I wear around my neck. It was a wallet that went under my shirt that had a lanyard around my neck. I said, what I do is I put one credit card in there and half my money. And then I put another credit card and half my money in the wallet that I carry in my pocket. And I said, that's in case I ever get pickpocketed. I always have a backup. And I said, I'm advising you to do something similar. So... 
I don't care how you do it. You don't leave it in your luggage. You don't leave it in your room because it can be stolen. We can put it in hotel safes, certainly. Uh, that if you come to me and say, hey, I want to I want to put this in a hotel safe. That's not a problem. I said some of some of the hotels even have them in the room. But I said, you need to take precautions. OK, Mr. Hayes, have you ever been pickpocketed? No, I never was. And I never had to fall back on this. But I know people that were. OK, we go to Europe. We get to Paris. We took the channel from London to Paris. And our first day in Paris, we were out on tour. And that morning, I overslept, got up late, threw my stuff together to go out for the day. And I did not take my second credit card and half my cash out of my wallet and put it in the hotel safe. Or actually, there was a safe in my room. I just left everything in my wallet. <laughs> and I got pickpocketed on the subway in Paris. Uh-oh. <laughs> he actually knocked me over on the on the uh, subway, grabbed my wallet out of my pocket, which was in my front pocket, took off. And I mean, my guide, our guide was 10 feet from me. He saw it happen. But the the door closed and the train moved and he looked at me and said, he got you, didn't me? I reached my pocket and said, oh my God. So <laughs> I had no credit cards and no money and still had six days left on a trip. Oh boy. Now I knew I could call my daughter and um, at that point we were on our way back to get our luggage because we were going for the night train to take the overnight train to Rome. Um, when I got to the hotel, they gave me some phone numbers. I was able to call Wells Fargo Bank and PSECU and cancel my credit cards. Interestingly enough, that took 45 minutes. And in 45 minutes, they hit both credit cards for 600 bucks each. Wow. They bought, would you believe it? They bought train tickets. And when I asked the hotel clerk, why would they buy train tickets? And she, he said, because they could get them quickly and tomorrow they can return them for the cash. I had uh, $600, a combination of euros and, and American money, about $600 cash in my wallet. They got that. Oof. So I said, okay, when we get to Rome, I will call my daughter and I'll have her express money here to, for me to pick up in Rome because we're going to be there for three days. That's what I'll do. As you can imagine, I was so sick to my stomach. First of all, because did I do what I told the kids to do? No. Were they going to let me forget that? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and, and um, I mean, we hit the ground running when we got to Rome. They didn't even take us to our hotel. We did a full day of touring. Didn't get back to our hotel till about six o'clock at night. And I said to the kids after dinner, I'm going to go up and call my dinner, my, my daughter. And they said, well, after dinner, can we talk to you before you do that? I said, sure. So we had a nice dinner in the hotel. And after dinner, they said, well, can we all come up to your room? Sure. So they all came up to my room. They collected money and gave me $500 and said, you, you, don't need to call your, you don't need to call your daughter. We collected this. The, our guide for the trip, who was actually from Russia, believe it or not, who I had to tip at the end of the trip, and didn't have money to tip him because I didn't have my credit cards to withdraw money. He even donated money. I mean, I, as you can imagine, teared up. So, and after we got home, I had all this money and I said, 
you know, I, I wired money to our guide. I took care of the tip he's taken care of. Now I have, you know, $500 here. I said, I don't know how to divide this up. I don't know who donated what, but um, I, I want you all to get this money back. And they're like, oh no, we're not taking your money. That was our gift to you for doing what you did. And I said, no, 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 I won't accept that. And they said, oh no, we talked to our parents and our parents insist we're not taking your money. Oh, wow. So they, they <laughs> wouldn't even allow me to pay them back. Wow. So there's my parting story. That's a good parting story. You're helping me remember why I liked your class so much. You're such a good storyteller. I know. Um, I try. <laughs> hey, thanks for agreeing to do this interview. I just, I wanted to celebrate you as a teacher because you had a profound impact on me, not only in helping me take things a little less seriously, uh, but also in helping me to just love travel and adventure and I think your spirit of curiosity and just embracing whatever adventure comes along, I think that was contagious and you did a great job of imparting that to your students in the classroom. So thanks for being such a great teacher. Thank you for being such a great student. The only one who got the April Fool's detention. <laughs> Absolutely. As always, thanks for listening today. And if you're a teacher, thank you for the hard work that you put in and the passion you have for the subject you teach and the students you care for. Everybody remember, I'm looking for Dear Teacher suggestions. If you know a Dear Teacher you'd like to see featured on the show, please contact me by leaving a voice message on Anchor or by emailing me at dearteacherpodcast at gmail.com. You can like and follow the podcast on Radio Public, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. See you next time.